0: Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Crawley. This message is by Colin Squires. I'm excited. It was just amazing. Band, thank you guys for just releasing. Michelle, leading the first time this morning. Just, I never need to come up here again, do I? Just you guys. Over to you. Amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. So whew, I, don't, I don't know where to start. <laughs> God has been so speaking about this this worship, about coming before Him, what He wants to do in our hearts, not just so that we have a nice time of worship, but because it's part of His kingdom purposes, His kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. And uh, and this morning, I just believe He wants to continue this this. Um, working in our hearts just making sure that everything is that we are positioned according to his word in the place where we receive what he wants to do and it flows through us there's no hindrance to what he wants to do amen now we're we're looking part two this week at uh, in our series on stewardship we're looking at tithing Uh, now I know that this is a we're in a cost of living crisis And uh, and so you might think talking about tithing and giving away money at a time where money might be really tight might seem like an odd idea. But I believe this is part of God's kingdom principles and part of his solution, not just in our lives individually, but societally um, to a cost of living crisis. That when we do things God's way, that it brings blessing and release. That sometimes doesn't even make sense that we add it up in our heads and go, Jesus, I can't afford this. But what Jesus said when it comes to finance, when we talked about last week, was what is impossible for man is possible for God. And so this is part of it, but there's also something very practical here in tithing and giving to church, for God's work, to the poor, that we are meeting the need of society. We're meeting the need of one another when we're in lack. Because uh, if one lacks, we all lack. And if one's in plenty, we're all in plenty. Amen. So this is, this is a real practical thing, but more than anything to do with money this morning, God wants to speak to our hearts and about our hearts. Uh, we want to live God's way so that we can say the words of Jesus, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear, because we trust in him. Tithing is about fundamentally putting our trust in God. Now, as Brits, I appreciate we don't always find it very easy talking about money, or at least our own. We find it easy talking about other people's sometimes, but uh, not our own, maybe. And I also appreciate there may be a reluctance from some to hear from me or from the church. Uh, about money and tithing. After all, the church, generally, not just this one, the church, big C, throughout history has not always had a brilliant track record with money and uh, that kind of thing. So if we, we look back in the 1500s, Pope Leo X, um, issued this, this, wanting to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica, said, um, we're going to really push the sale of indulgences in the Catholic Church, which was basically a slip of paper, which fundamentally was a, uh, your sins are forgiven if you pay enough money. Or your time in purgatory could be shortened if you pay enough money. I'm simplifying slightly, but not in the Bible. And if anyone's going, oh, can I have one? We don't do that. We don't, that's not how it works. Um, And then more recently, we we read about sadly scandals with with churches or maybe TV evangelists that have manipulated people into giving their money for their own gain. We heard last week about how the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy specifically about this issue um, in Ephesus and said, these teachers who do this who uh, treat godliness as a means to their own financial gain is completely not okay. So from the very early church, throughout history, even to today, there's not, there have been individuals who have twisted and corrupted God's word to manipulate people into giving for their own yeah. ends. And I obviously have to recognise the potential conflict of interest here in that our tithes go to this church, and as an employee of this church... I am paid, in part, by those tithes. I have to recognise that. And before I say anything about today, all I can ask is that you make a decision in your heart of whether you're going to choose to trust me and my integrity before the Lord or not. And there's nothing more I I can say than that. The idea for me that I would say anything here to try and manipulate somebody into giving more for the church or for me is anathema to me. In fact, it's terrifying to me, because I know I'm going to have to stand before God one day and give account for everything that I share this morning. And if there's anything in my heart that's like, I can get something out of people, that is terrifying. I genuinely believe that everything that God wants to say this morning, we're going to look at so much of the word, is for our good, is for your good. You, as a Christian, not for the church, not for me, not anything else. It is God's principles for our good, and uh, and and I'm just going to have to say, please, if you have any issues with anything I say, please just come and have a conversation with me afterwards. Give me opportunity to ask for forgiveness if it's needed. Give me opportunity to explain, and let's go on a journey together. But is is that okay? You just before before the Lord, <laughs> uh, because I'm going to say some things that are going to the Bible says. Uh, sometimes pretty tricky. Um, So thanks, Jesus, for giving me this one. Praise the Lord. Um, But tithing is good for us. So we're going to do a Bible study today. We're going to ask the big questions in the Bible. We've got a lot to get through, so I'm going to speed through it a little bit. Again, if you have any issues or questions, ask me afterwards. But we're going to look at, is tithing for Christians biblical? Specifically, is a New Testament teaching What is tithing? How much uh, should it be? Where should it go? Uh, Is it sin if we don't tithe? And why do we tithe? And how is it linked to our hearts? Um, Tithing today, generally, as a headline, is understood to be giving 10% of our income, usually to the local church. Uh, And some people say it's just an Old Testament thing. It was part of the Mosaic law, the law of Moses given to uh, to the Israelites. And so because we are free from the law, which we are, it's no longer for us today as new Christians. So let's see, we're gonna look at what does the Bible say about this? The first mention of tithing is in Genesis 14, 17. To paint a bit of a picture, we've got Abraham who would become Abraham, God's chosen one to father all the nations uh, that were of God's children. And he's just come back from, uh, from defeating Kid, uh, King Kidelema and some other kings uh, and then come home. He's got all the spoils of war with him. And then this random bit jumps out in scripture of this priest who is also a king, king of peace, king of Salem, Melchizedek, pops out of nowhere. Nobody really knows who he is. The New Testament, Hebrews 7, says that he was a type of Christ. He was a, a, like a foreshadowing, a picture of Jesus. But we don't really know who he is, where he was from, anything like that particularly. Though There are some hints we'll look at in a minute. Um, and he comes out of nowhere and he brings bread and wine, a foreshadowing of communion. And, uh, and it says that Abraham gave him a tenth of the spoils of war. A tenth of everything, it says. Now, um... Some Jewish texts say that Melchizedek was actually Shem, one of Noah's sons, and Abraham's teacher and priest who instructed him in the Word. That's in the book of Jasher 9, 5-6, for those who are real Bible geeks who want to read some uh, extra-biblical books. Um, And although the book of Jasher is not in the Bible, some of the bits of Jasher are quoted in our Bible, in the books of Joshua and Samuel. But anyway, whether he was Shem or not, there's this picture of the first idea of tithing being 430 years before Moses and the law, being given to um, Abraham's teacher and priest, but not just that, something more important, a representation of Christ, giving to God. I also think this is fascinating. It says in the Bible that Jesus is uh, of the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a king and priest. Levites believed, the Jewish people believed only Levites can be priests and only non-Levites can be kings. And Melchizedek was both king and priest. And Jesus is, of course, both king and priest. Really cool, right? Anyway, complete aside, let's carry on. Um, So the next place we read, or another place we read about tithing in the Old Testament is in the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. It says, honour the Lord with your wealth, and the first fruits of all of your crops. Now the book of Proverbs is also not the law, it is a book of wisdom. And whether you're in the Old Testament or New Testament, wisdom is wisdom. We don't do away with wisdom. And of course Tithing is also in the law of Moses and we are not under the law of Moses that that, uh, Jesus has freed us from the law. And there's loads of little details about tithing, exactly how to do it and when to do it and what to do it with and all that kind of thing. There's loads of specifics in the Old Testament. But what I want to ask is what does our freedom afford us? Does it mean that our freedom points our hearts towards less or to more? Timothy Keller, the great Bible teacher who sadly passed away last month, said this, There have been times when people have come to me as their pastor and asked about tithing or giving away tenth, a tenth of their annual income. They notice that in the Old Testament there are many clear commands that believers should give away 10%. But in the New Testament, specific quantitative requirements for giving are less prominent. They often ask me, you don't think that now in the New Testament believers are absolutely required to give away 10%, do you? I shake my head, no, and they give a sigh of relief. But then I quickly add, I'll tell you why you don't see the tithing requirement laid out clearly in the New Testament. Think, have we received more of God's revelation, truth and grace than the Old Testament believers or less? Usually there's an uncomfortable silence. Are we more debtors to grace than we were or less? Did Jesus tithe his life and blood to save us or did he give it all? tithing is a minimum standard for Christian believers. We certainly wouldn't want to be in a position of giving away less of our income than those who had so much less of an understanding of what God did to save them. Wow. And it's not just Timothy Keller. Historically, the early church fathers, like Clement and Arrhenius, uh, encouraged the, the church to exceed the Old Testament tithe because Jesus had freed them from the law. Does being free mean we don't have to give? Or that Now we can give out of relationship and thanksgiving instead of legal compulsion. What does that freedom afford us? Let's look at uh, where does the tithe go and what is it for? In the Old Testament, there were actually three different kinds of tithe. There was the tithe of feasts, uh, a bit like a holiday fund. You would save up and it says you could buy, uh, it says in the Bible, to buy food and wine and whatever your heart desires so that you come together and celebrate the Lord and have basically a holiday. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, I could... I could do more of that kind of tithing. That sounds good. Tell me more about that, Colin. Um, That one's not for today, I'm sorry. Uh, Though we probably, most of us, kind of do that kind of thing to some degree. Maybe if it was saving up to go to faith camp or something like that, there's sort of this idea of a holiday. The word holiday comes from holy day. Um, The next kind of tithe was the tithe for the poor, which happened once every three years and was given to provide for those in need. It's actually the basis of our current modern welfare system is based on this idea of taking money each individual makes, and then it can go to provide for the poor. We praise God. The Bible is the basis of all the virtues of Western society. And then the third kind of tithe was the sacred tithe, which is the one we're looking at today, or the Levitical tithe, which was given every year to the Levites, who were the priests. Now, the rest of Israel, when when God led them into the Promised Land, he gave everybody else, all the other tribes, the 12 tribes, each land... Uh, to go and farm and look after and have livestock and that kind of thing. But the Levites weren't given any inheritance in the land. They didn't farm, they didn't work or anything like that. They only worked to serve the Lord. And so uh, God put in place this principle that everybody else, the other 12 tribes, they would tithe and that would come to the Levites. So that first 10% would come to the Levites and then they would live off of that. So that's the Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul refers back to this practice of supporting the priests. When writing to the believers in Corinth, he says this, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He makes this clear statement that this is a practice we should continue today. Uh, If we look at the rest of the context of this this verse, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to open to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, For the sake of time, I'm just going to pick out a few verses. I'm going to skip an odd verse here and there, but please do read it through to get the the full picture that's going on. Now, again, a bit of context. Paul's being criticised by some people saying, you shouldn't be given any money or supported or anything like that. And and he gives this explanation of, of what's been going on. And he says, uh, from verse two, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, I'm not an apostle in that church over there or that church, but to you, I'm your apostle. Verse four, don't we have the right to food and drink to support? Verse six, or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? So these other apostles, they were being supported, but not just them, also their wives and even their families were being supported by churches. But Paul and Barnabas weren't being by this church in Corinth. Verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? So Paul's taken all of these verses up to this point to make this really clear point. This is the right thing to be doing. You should be. Now you might be thinking like, Ooh, there's that conflict of interest again. <laughs> this could potentially be um, received as manipulative, couldn't it? Saying, you should. Look, the Bible says it, and it's right, and God says it, and it's, it's here, and it's there. We should definitely, in the, 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 the ox thing, you should be giving me some money, right? We might, if we were hearing that, might think that about Paul. But he then changes the emphasis here. In these next verses, he goes on to, to just really clearly make this point. He says, but... We did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of God. He didn't receive, he didn't take their offering. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, we read this just now, and that those who serve at the altar share in what was offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rites. I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. He is saying, even though, he's taken 14 verses to, to, to explain, this is right, this is what God says we should do. But just in case you don't do it because you're worried that I'm saying this out of manipulation, I'm not going to have it anyway. He's, he's I would rather die than you think that that is the case, so I'm not going to have it. And, and I, I hope it comes across my heart today. I truly do. that. This is my prayer in that same way that you would be able to capture, okay, this is God's good will and purpose for me. This is not a, we need your money or anything like that at all. It is just, let's look at the word and live in the goodness of God's way of living. Amen. Now, the idea of supporting those who teach is uh, is echoed in Galatians 6.6, says the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, contextually, this is actually talking about fellowship, not money, but there's a good principle there. And again, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour. Now, the context here is about material possessions, providing for widows and orphans and things like that. Not double honour means you should bow twice as deeply to the elders who are overseeing the church when they walk past. It's talking about material possessions. By the way, this is not anyone angling after a raise of 100% or anything like that. But especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox. Here's that same reference. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. So this is what the tithe is for biblically. This and providing for the, four, uh, for the poor, as we'll see shortly. But ultimately, who does the tithe go to? Is it the church? Was it the priests? No, it's to God. So yes, tithes were used to support the Levite priests or, or the priests in the New Testament uh, and those who were serving the gospel, but they didn't actually go to the priests or to the apostles, they went to God. In Numbers 18, 21, the Lord said, I have given to the Levites every tithe that, ke- that the people of Israel present to me. This is a, in payment for their service in taking care of the tent of my presence. So the Lord says, no, the tithes are mine, I have ordained that the Levites should collect them, and I have given them to them. But our tithes don't go to the church. They don't go to the priests. They didn't in the Old Testament. They go to God. It was God who then gave the tithes to the priests. In his epistle to the Philippians, um, verses 4-18, Paul lets them know he's received their gift, but he calls it a sacrifice to God. Now, um, there were times that Paul worked as a tent maker so that he wouldn't need any, any money given to him. There were other times uh, when he was in prison and he needed that kind of support. But he clearly showed throughout the epistles that his dependence was always upon God and not on any person supporting him. Um, it's also important to understand at the time, the culture of the time, There was this idea of patron-client relationship. So a patron would be the person you'd go to and you'd say, I need this loan or I need help or this thing's going on. I just need someone to come along and say, I can't afford it myself. The patron would give you a loan or they'd help you out. And in return, you would owe them uh, favour or service. It's actually where we get a lot of the the ideas of of, um, grace and faith, of pistis and... and, um, are from this kind of relationship. It's sort of like uh, when Don Corleone in The Godfather says, Someday, and that day may never come, I will call upon you to do a service for me. But until that day, accept this gift on my daughter's wedding day. <laughs> it's my best Marlon Brando, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> He's saying there are strings attached to gifts. Now, this wasn't necessarily a bad thing. You might want your strings attached to say, I am now, this this patron has given me this amazing gift. Of course, I want to be part of his family. I want to owe him this. We are now knitted together. We're joined. However, Paul specifically didn't want this from the church in Philippi. He knew God was calling him here and there and everywhere, and he was going to Macedonia and go all over these different places. So he knew if he were to take personally a gift, and it may have been from the church as a whole, it may have been from an individual, Lydia or or the jailer, but to take one of these gifts, it would be to say, you are now my patron, I'm your client, and I owe you something. I should come whenever you need me or whenever you call. But Paul is saying, I can't come whenever you call, I must be ready to go whenever God calls. So it is God that provides for me, he is my patron, he is my father, my provider, and I owe my faith to him because of this, this charis, this grace that he has given. I can't be any man's debtor, I'm only indebted to God. And so he says, I've received this gift, it's like the thankless thank you letter. I've received this gift, thank you for your sacrifice to God who's provided for me. And because he can't thank them individually because it's not for him The tithe is for God. In a similar way, it's also important to note this principle that when we give our tithes to our our local church, that there can't be strings attached. We can't say, I'll give this tithe if you paint the walls the colour that I like. Or only if you get comfier chairs, we we might all be thinking. Um, So even if we might think, oh, I'm not sure I would do that, that's not our part. Our part is, God, I'm going to be faithful to what you've called me to. And whoever these people are who have been given the responsibility of then looking after that money and stewarding that well, their responsibility is before God to then use that well. And then so how much then is the tithe? This is the bit we're all in the West, we're all waiting for. Okay, give me the figure. The Old Testament law was clear, give a tenth of everything. It's actually not that clear because uh, are the other tithes, the poor tithe and the holiday tithe and the feast tithe, is that part of that or is that more? So it may be that the tithe was actually more. Bible scholars are a little unsure about this. It might have been 10% overall. It might have been more than 10, 20, 22%. So um, you're all thinking, stick with 10, Colin, stick with 10. Okay. Um, In the New Testament... Jesus doesn't address the details of giving, the specifics, the how much and the when and the where and the dill, mustard seeds, you know, all those kind of things. He says, give what is in your heart. Do so willingly. God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus is talking about our heart, our attitude, our response, not the specifics. The New Testament does, however, say that we should give proportionally or a percentage. It doesn't say specifically Ten, but it does say a percentage. In 1 Corinthians 16.2, it says this. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, or a portion of the money you have earned, in the Amplified, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Literally, that's a percentage. You should save a percentage of your income. It doesn't say ten, but a percentage. Uh, I'll refer back to that Timothy Keller quote. what, What should it be? And this is not saying that it must be you know, no more than 10, I'm I'm amazingly inspired by the story of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, who um, set this principle saying, what do I need to live, and and live comfortably, 28 pounds a a year. Uh, You know, inflation has made that a little bit different today. (laughs) But 28 pounds a year, and he was earning 30 at the time, so two pounds a year he gave away. By the end of his life, he was earning 1,400 pounds a year and was one of, or if he'd kept it all, the wealthiest men in England. He lived on 28 pounds a year and gave all the rest away. So this principle, he said, I love this phrase, he says, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Um, he lifted so many out, people out of poverty personally in this country and through Methodism. It's an amazing testimony. But there's this, this idea in the New Testament of like 10% when, when Paul says in the same way, in the same way as in the Old Testament. So there's this principle quite clearly communicated. It doesn't say 10, but it's in the same way, principally. Now, it's important to note here it, that this verse says about give a proportion, it doesn't say give as God leads. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go, if I was going as God leaves, I might go, oh, I think God's leading me to not give any or to give a tiny bit this, this week. My heart is deceitful above all things. Yes, that's right. It's tricky, it's slippery. Yeah, yeah. It does not say at the end of the week, give what you can afford after you've bought all the stuff that you want. <laughs> I know that if that's what it was, say, I probably wouldn't give very much or very frequently because my heart is deceitful. But it says, on the first day, before you spend it, God. Yeah. And to be a percentage. Whatever you've decided in your heart before God. Now, if we're, if we, again, if we're looking for that exact figure, I just point back to that in the same way. That tithing is like that, that sort of a great place to start. A great place to start. We want to give more and more and more. And then we want to give all we can and learn to be good givers. But it starts with 10%. Now, If we've established that that biblically it's 10% or at least 10%, we might ask the question of 10% of what? Is that pre-tax, post-tax, post-bills? What does that look like? Now, I don't wanna get into specifics because Jesus didn't get into specifics. He was talking about the heart. Um, So I would rather ask the question of what is going on in your heart right now? Are you thinking, this sounds brilliant, God, oh, teach me more. I want more. I want to know how to live your principles. Are you thinking, that sounds great, but I have no idea how I'm going to do that practically. God, help me. Are you thinking, Colin, I'm just feeling annoyed at you. It sounds like you want my money. Sorry if that's the case. It's coming out wrong if that is the case. But you might be feeling that. Um, or you might just be feeling, oh, I just hate talking about money and can we just talk about Jesus and stuff. But Jesus talks about money because it gives us a definite indication of a heart. A heart's a slow, slippery. Yeah. Are we doing it? Are we not? I don't know. I'm kind of in it. I'm kind of not. Are you tithing or not? If suddenly it becomes black and white. Are you giving or not? Now, the reason it's a heart, because this, there's this principle of, of just trusting in God. And before we get into that, Let our hearts say, God, how can I trust and honour you with my finances? Not through religious rules, but what do you want to say? So I'm going to speed through this. Here we go, really, really quick. Um, Throughout the Bible, there's the idea of first fruits, tithing of first fruits before anything else. For me, that's before tax, before the government gets it, before the the bills get it, before the mortgage gets it. Anything else, God gets it. He gets my first fruits. And and in my mind, 90% blessed is better than 100% not blessed. So... Um, at the end of the day, though, it is all God's anyway. Yes. Deuteronomy eight seventeen to 18 says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God, remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce the wealth. Right. Haggai 2 8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Now, whatever our hearts are doing, they should be responding. Something should be going off in our heart right now, either something of hope and this is exciting or "Mm, I don't like this very much. If either of those, that's good because it's just giving God space to do something in our hearts. I want to ask this question. I just felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to ask this question. Do you feel peripheral in the church? Do you have thoughts of my heart is gone cold or growing cold or my heart's not really in it? I want to ask you this question and again please hear my heart this is I've said this for your good are you tithing because Jesus said where your treasure is there your heart will be also if if our hearts are not in it is it because our hearts are in our money and our money's not in it and our money is going somewhere else just a question that may not be the case for you but I just felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to ask that Paul links money to the heart strongly in 2 Corinthians 8.8, where he talks about taking uh, a collection, an offering for persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. He says, I am not commanding you, hopefully that's what you hear this morning, but I want to test, he says, the sincerity of your love, or test your heart, money tests our hearts, by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you, he says. What is best for you in this matter? Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to. Now, finish the work. It implies that maybe at first they were like, yeah, we'll give. This is great. And their hearts were in it. But their heart grew cold to giving and they stopped. And so Paul's saying, this is what's best for you. Keep going with this. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to... To your means, Again, that, that percentage or the proportion of what you have. What you have, give out of what God has given you. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Again, it's about not amount, it's about heart. If you're giving willingly, it's acceptable to God. So although the New Testament doesn't say specifically to give 10%, it does say first fruits, it does clearly say a percentage of what we earn, and it does say in the same way as in the Old Testament, at least principally. But the most important thing it tells us is it's not about money, it's about our hearts. So why tithe? What does it protect us from? Why has God say? Why does it say this is good for you? Why is it good for us? We could have so many testimonies about from different people about what what this this principle has done in their lives. We don't have time this morning. I felt God say, just open my word this morning. We can talk more about our response and things next week. But Proverbs three seven to ten is linked to health and prosperity. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, financially as well as everything else, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Sometimes giving away money could really seem unwise, especially this time. But fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with all your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. Health and prosperity are linked to obedience to God, which is linked to wealth. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, and I will pour out so much blessing. Romans 11.16, if the first portion of dough offered as the first fruits is holy, so the whole batch. And if the root, Abraham, the patriarch, and the patriarchs, is holy, so are the branches, the Israelites. If we give the first fruits... The rest is blessed. Now, I do not mean to say that we give in order to get. Oh, brilliant, I start tithing. I'm going to get more money. That's prosperity gospel. That's about more stuff for me. That might happen because God is good and he does lavish his blessing upon us. But this is not about that. This is about saving our hearts from that, from a desire for more and more and more and saying, God, you take my desires, you take my heart so that I'll live for you and not just for more stuff. If we put ourselves in a tricky situation, sorry, we do put ourselves in a tricky situation when we want God's blessing, but we don't want to receive it the way that he ordains. Tithing helps keep our hearts in God and not in the world. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 1 John 2, 15 to 16, do not love the world or the things in the world, money and stuff. It, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life or money, sex and power is not from the Father but is from the world. Yeah. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Matthew 6:24-26. no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Now, somebody I was talking to recently, they they brought up this issue of tithing as something that God had uh, been speaking to them about. And I thought it just summed this up wonderfully. Uh, They said to me, I've stopped tithing because cost of living crisis, costs are going up, my income's gone down recently, struggling to make ends meet a little bit, so I've stopped tithing. And uh, and then I was looking at my finances and I was going through my receipts and things and I realised that I was still spending 10% of my income but rather than a tithe, I was spending it on alcohol or going out for a drink. We are all tithing Mm -hmm. to something. something, Are we giving our our money and, and that link to our hearts, our money and our hearts so inextricably linked to God or to something else? Because where our hearts will be sorry, where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. So in, in just summing this all up then, must we tithe 10%? And are we biblically obligated as New Testament Christians? No, not specifically. Uh, if you're looking to the, like, the, the, the letter, is it a principle as a minimum starting point? Yes, I believe so, very strongly. And is it implied? Yes, should it go to supporting the church, church workers, and to be distributed by the church to those in need and to the poor? Yes. Is it a sin not to tithe or not to give 10%? No. But it would be a sin to not give at all, to, to, as a Christian, just to be a giving person, or to give disproportionately to our income, which is maybe the case for many people of us today, or to give grudgingly. That's sin. Jesus says you're to give willingly, to, to give a proportion. Yep. But most importantly, it's about heart. And the way God really revealed this to me, I thought it was so helpful. Thank you, Jesus, I get it. Was looking at another context, was sex before marriage. Is there a Bible verse in the New Testament that says, do not have sex before you get married? No. Is it a very clear principle throughout the New Testament? Yes. <laughs> do our hearts respond to it by saying, well, how far can I go? before it's sin. I've got this smoking hot girlfriend. I mean, what about like kissing? Is that okay? What about like, as long as it's not this, I've got, you know, Is a heart response to be, I want to pick through and try and get as close to the line as I possibly can. Or is there a heart response to be flee sexual immorality? Is it to go, God, I want to honor you with as much of my life as is humanly possible for all you've done for me. So when we look at these principles through the New Testament, is there a line that says in the New Testament, thou shalt give 10% of all your income pre-tax after you've done, you know, like, no. But is there a clear principle throughout? Yes. And is a heart going to be, God, I want to try and get away with as little as I possibly can in trusting you. Or God, this is tough for me. This is hard for me. But I want to honour you with as much as I can. I want to give all of my heart that I can possibly give. Now, I do not want, I desperately do not want to heap condemnation or religion upon anybody. And if you walk out of this room, maybe you don't tithe, you don't tithe 10% or whatever, there is no finger of judgment pointing at you. There is no, you're a second-class Christian, or you don't really belong to this church, or any other lie that the enemy might want to try and whisper in your ear, is not true. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if you are struggling if you're like I, right, well, Colin, it sounds great. Ten percent of giving it to you know whatever, I, I can barely put food on the table. Please come and talk to me. This is why we're part of why we're talking about this. We want to meet that need and see you blessed, provided for. Yeah. What I want to communicate is God wants to bless us. He wants to bless, bless through us, and he wants to keep our hearts focused on Him, where we find life, not in the world. So spiritual disciplines like fasting, prayer, um, worship or tithing and giving may seem on the surface costly and difficult and hard, but the fruit that they yield brings blessing, mercarius, life and satisfaction and fulfillment, freedom from anxiety, trust. If things aren't going well for you, if your heart is cold, if there's frequent illness, you've got money problems, uh, if there's a lack of trust in God, if there's broken relationships within the church, we might not link this with money. And I'm not saying it's directly tied to it, but are we tithing? Because not that it's all about tithing, but if we're lacking any of the spiritual disciplines in our lives, prayer or fasting or whatever, then we're going to see less of what God wants to do in us because we're spending less of giving less of a heart or less room in a heart for him to do it. I just don't want anyone to miss out on this blessing because I genuinely believe this is good for you. This is good for me. I've lived by this principle my entire Christian life and I thank God for it and for what it has done in my heart praise God. And if I added up all the money, now I don't want to share this too much because the whole left hand, right hand, know what is doing thing. But if I add up all the money that we've given over the years, I, it is a staggering amount of money. But God has provided and met so far in abund, abundantly more than I could ask or imagine in response. And that's not what I have given, but it's just, he's just proven himself again and, again and again and again and again and again. We must also recognize that, that Like all the spiritual disciplines, tithing requires faith and God's grace, especially at the moment in a cost of living crisis. You might be thinking, I want to do this, but I don't know how I can afford 10%. Maybe right now you can't. Maybe right now you can just do 1% or 3% or whatever it might be. But remember, the most important thing is not about the amount or the figure or the money. It is about heart. Is my heart God, I want to give joyfully and cheerfully, and I want this to connect my heart to yours. This is an act of faith and trust in you, that as I sow this, I trust you that I don't need to worry about what I'm going to wear or what I eat or drink, because my Father will provide. Tithing is at its core about trusting God. Let each one, thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. I'm not trying to give anyone any compulsion this morning. For God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. Amen. And then lastly, as we, just, as we just come to respond to the Lord this morning, Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Remember, Michelle was talking about the lamb this morning, enthroned. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise and the one I missed and wealth and riches. We were joking the other day, maybe Christians, maybe we worship like this because we don't want to worship and put, have to put our hands into our pockets. <laughs> He's worthy of our wealth as well as the glory and the praise and Amen. the wisdom and the honour. Thank you, Jesus. So as we give what we can, trusting in God, leaning on his grace and not on our own understanding, we connect afresh with his heart he will lead us, bless us, grace us to grow in our dependence and our surrender on him and to grow to be able to be great givers. Because when we don't give to get, we get to give. It is a privilege, a wonderful privilege. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to throw this in really quick. This is the last like, minute. If your heart has come at any point towards anyone, anyone in this church even, of with a sense of judgment of, I don't think you spent that well. I don't think you did well with that money just like when Miriam came to Moses and sort of like complained, she was right. What he had done was not what God said. She was right, but her judgment in her heart meant that it it actually, it held her back. If there's been any judgment in your heart, please come and have a conversation with me, come and have a conversation with that person. And I'll be honest, there have been times where I've had a a thought in my heart towards somebody and I'm like, I'm not sure that seemed very wise. I'm gonna go have a word with them. And I've gone and talked to people and then they've they've shared what's happened or what's gone behind the scenes. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Oh, thank you. That's cleared it up. No heart issues. If I hadn't, it might have sown a root of bitterness that had grown up to defile many. And I'd start going around maybe saying, oh, don't give to that church. Don't go and do that. Because do you know what they did with this money? Even though I might have been completely wrong, because I'd never gone and sorted it out. If there's been any of that, let's sort it out. God wants consecration here, remember? He wants to sort out our hearts. So let's stand. Let's, let's respond. I'm, Jen, are you, are you with the worship team? Are you guys able to come up again? We've, we've run over. We're just going to pray for just, just this next minute and then I'm going to release you to go get your kids and that kind of thing. And, but then if you want to come back in, bring your children, just take some longer time just to respond to this and connect with God's heart. We'll invite you to do so. But right now, let's just close our eyes. Let's just pray for a minute. Let's just ask God, God, would you give me a revelation of the joy of giving and tithing, that I can connect with your heart in a deeper way. And be honest with him where your heart is at the moment. Wherever it is, just be honest. Let's say, Jesus, I want to submit my heart afresh. If, it, if you just think, I, in earthly standards, it's going to be impossible for me to start doing that from tomorrow. God, would you lead me and guide me so that I can take step by step into this good promises that you have for me this way of life this spiritual discipline god would you most importantly take hold of my heart afresh jesus i don't want to just yield all the other aspects of my life but have this one held back jesus i surrender jesus i choose to forgive anyone i've held in i've held judgment against and looked from afar and the way that what they've done with their money, whether it's in church or another believer or anything like that, and I've stood in judgment. Father, please forgive me and help me to reconcile. Help me go have a conversation when I need to. Jesus, help me to start today, to not put off to tomorrow. The next day, or live in the land of good intentions, but to live this in some way to start putting in practice if it's not already God. If I'm someone who already tithes and already do that, show me what you want to do greater how to grow in this gift of giving, to excel in this grace of giving. Thank you, Jesus, that Lord, never will I tithe or give or give an offering or anything like that as a transaction. But Jesus to do so in faith and out of relationship and worship to you. Jesus, every time we do, we thank you that we're just saying, Jesus, it's all yours anyway. Thank you that you've graced me to produce it. Thank you, you've blessed me with it. That every time it would point us to thanksgiving to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you.